0: four one through twenty. <clears throat> Once again Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling them many stories in the form of parables such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed, as he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it did not have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among the thorns. Oh lost it. fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still, other seed fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as it had been planted. Then they said, then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. He replied, you're permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God. But I use parables for everything I say to outsiders, so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, If you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all other parables? The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. <clears throat> the seed that fell on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall, they fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others... ...who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the words of worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produced a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted...
1: Um, I think that's it for announcements. I invite you to keep your Bible. We are doing a different translation this morning just for sake of clarity. We are transitioning our series um, through the gospel of Mark called Life on Life Discipleship. We have spent the last three weeks looking at different passages where Jesus called his followers to follow him. We've looked at just those simple words of follow me. Um, Whether it was uh, Peter and Andrew, James and John, or Matthew, and how Jesus calls us to follow him. And there is simplicity in that, and and there is um, thoughtfulness that we can put into those words, follow me. Excuse me. This morning, now, we are going to look at how Jesus teaches his disciples, what does it mean to be a disciple, a follower of Christ? And the beauty and the simplicity of this is just day-to-day life. There, uh, there aren't a lot of seminars. There aren't conventions. There's nothing wrong with those kinds of things. Um, but Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to take you on a three-year journey, and we're just going to do life together. And that's what he does. And so he's going to teach them what does it mean to be a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. During the routine of life, and this is how this is how life works. And I, I can remember, uh, and I know you could too. Just when you think through life, in my early twenties, in Indonesia, watching women all go down to the river together and do laundry, and they'd have their little girls with them and teach them how to do laundry, and there was just this life on life learning that happens. And that's what Jesus does. He's going to just take them on the routine of life on how to learn what it means to follow him. So, <clears throat> excuse me, this morning, the focus is this. He's teaching us how to listen and respond to God's word. How do we listen and respond to God's word? And this is foundational. This is, this is lesson one in the parables of Jesus. That when God's word is taught, when God's word is read and explained, it functions as a mirror to our souls. I hope we all spend a few moments this morning in front of the mirror looking at our faces and making sure that everything looked okay. It's appropriate to do. If you did not, you know, your spouse might be like, hey, you need to. It's okay to look nice. But the Bible says you need to open it up and you need to see what's going on in the inside. So the Bible functions as a mirror to your soul, a mirror to your life. And this morning, we're going to look at four different types of soil as a picture of how well we listen. All right, so here's the, excuse me, the short story of this. Jesus tells a story. It's of a farmer. He's got his little side pack on and he's walking around and he's throwing seed on his property. And Jesus uses this simple little metaphor as a way to teach us how do we actually really listen? What happens? What's going on? And so it's just it's just beautiful, simple little thing to teach us about how we listen and respond to God's word. So here's We'll spend most of our time in the second part, which is verse 13, which is the explanation of this parable. <clears throat> Point number one is this. The seed has the power to change your life. And Jesus is referring to this, that God's word functions as a seed, as a plant seed. And if you think about this for a moment, just the beautiful simplicity of this, we can all easily easily picture this. Um, a little over a year ago, the hills above us were black and gray with ash from the fire, and now you can go for a walk, and these seeds, these tiny little seeds, are turning the hills green. There is a peaceful and powerful picture of a seed and what it can do. And so Jesus says this, here's what he says, explaining to the disciples, he's going to pull them aside. So the bigger context is this, that Jesus is drawing these huge crowds. He has become very popular. Now he's going to withdraw with his disciples in a small little group and he says, I'm going to teach you what this means. You you have to get this. The word listen, the word hear is used over and over again. Verse 13 says this, then Jesus said to them, If you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all other parables? The farmer plants the seed by taking God's word to others. So the seed is God's word. Excuse me. God's word has the power to change your life. Let's start simple and we'll work even more complex. The Bible says in Genesis that God said this let there be light and there was light. None of us can do that. We can say, let there be light, and somebody has to do something. Turn on the generator, flip a switch. We cannot just create light. So God's word has this dynamic power. James 1, chapter 1 says this also, that it has the power to create. James 1 says this, that when you receive with meekness the implanted word It is able to save our souls. So God's word is alive and it's active and it's powerful. And it has the ability to change our lives. Peter, writing his letter, wrote this. You have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of an imperishable seed, through the living and abiding word of God. So this picture of God's word being a seed is something that's used Uh, throughout the New Testament. What we need to see, though, is the transformative power of God's word and how important it is. Jesus is teaching us that this little seed can grow into something beautiful. All you have to do is go for a walk up in the hills and you will find oak trees growing out of rocks and beautiful flowers growing out of the hillside and you will see the transforming power That a seed has. Something that would fit on the nail of your finger can grow to a massive and beautiful in size. Let let me show you though. Let's switch metaphors for just a moment to help us understand the power of God's word. So there's two metaphors. One is the seed. This tiny little seed that can grow and blossom into beautiful things. And then the the author of Hebrews is going to switch metaphors and use the picture of a sword. Let me show you this. It's not quite as peaceful and beautiful, but there's a simple point to it. Let's just break this down just piece by piece for a moment to help us all, remind us all the power of God's word. So, for the word of God is living. That's because God is alive. That's because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's because we serve a living God who communicates and reveals himself through his word. God's word is active. That means it's at work in our lives. That we are to know and enjoy God. That there is to be a delight in God's word. So the author is saying that this is an active and living book, an active and living truth that reveals who God is. And then the switch of metaphor, a two-edged sword. This was a common Roman soldier sword that had two edges and that any Jewish person would be aware of. That They would see it regularly. Now, the, the graphic reality is that the Roman soldiers were highly effective in using this sword in battle. It was fatal. And that's because by being a double-edged sword, it could easily penetrate the internal organs of a person. And so here's what the author of Hebrews is saying. That God's word is meant to touch you on the inside. It's meant to touch your heart. It's meant to come inside and change. It's not meant just to stay external and superficial It's meant to have an invasive power on your life. It's meant to touch you on the inside in a way that no other person can. Not in a way that a pastor or a preacher can or a book, a novel, or a self-help book. But this is a metaphor that goes deep within your life. That God's word partners with the Holy Spirit to touch who you are to help you understand areas of our life. And the metaphor then explains even to a surgical type metaphor, where there is precision, where the word divides the soul and the spirit and the joints and of marrow. Very interesting in my reading this week, and it talked about, wasn't fully aware of this, but the types of surgery that were happening in New Testament times. They were actually, there's stories you can read about doctors removing cataracts from somebody's eye with surgical precision in New Testament times. Doesn't sound all that delightful to me. Doesn't sound delightful now, but back then doesn't sound delightful at all. The point of this though is this, is that God's word can discern truth. God's word can discern motives. God's word lays everything open and bare. So these two metaphors, Jesus using this example of a farmer and the author of Hebrews says it's a sword, it is transformative in nature. It can redirect the course of your life. It can bring healing to brokenhearted. It can rearrange the priorities of your life. And so Jesus wants us to know that this simple seed can be transformative. Number two, though, is the question, what is the condition of the soil? What is the condition of our hearts? What is the condition of our attitudes? And for, for a long time, I, I always classified these different soils as different kinds of people. And I think I, I think I was wrong in thinking that way. I think the better way, or more accurate way, the more simple way is to think of this in terms of attitudes that we can all have. And Jesus is going to explain that only one type of soil, only one type of condition of the human heart or of our attitudes is receptive to God's word. It is not enough to come onto the property. It's not enough to come into the tent. It's not enough to be here. It's not enough to sit here. It's not enough to listen to God's word. It's not enough to listen to me. God's word has to have access to your life. And here's what we learn about these three different types of soil. Number one is this. Jesus says this. The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. And as the farmer's out throwing some of the seed, some of it falls on a footpath or the hard soil, which represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. Here's the principle. Whenever God's word is taught, it's spiritual warfare. Whenever God's word is explained or read, that it's spiritual warfare. That the enemy wants to take away God's word. At this moment, the enemy wants to distract us, wants to um, entertain us, wants to do whatever is possible to prevent us from hearing and listening and accepting God's word. For many people, the enemy is a joke, is a, a sense of humor, but the Bible says this Peter wrote this. He wrote, first Peter chapter eight, verse five, that we are to be alert, that we are to watch out for our great enemy, the devil, that he prowls around like a roaring, lion, looking for someone to devour. And so there is a seriousness that Jesus teaches us here about his word. That it is possible that the enemy can distract us, can take away the good things that he wants to do. The war takes place at your heart. The battlefield is the inside of who we are. And what we need to realize with some sense of sobriety is the seriousness of what is happening. Paul writes this, the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, that Satan um, is described as the angel of light, that he disguises himself as the angel of light. So what is one of the most deceptive things that the angel of light can do to deceive us? That God's word really doesn't matter that much. That I can come to church and hear some nice little thing and maybe feel slightly encouraged, but keep it at a distance. Stay distracted. How can Satan do this? What are the tools that Satan can use to prevent God's word from reaching deep in our heart? That we value entertainment more than scriptural clarity just tell me a good story, make me laugh, some little antidote from Brian's childhood that was quite funny. Just keep those coming. Keep it sermon light, scripture light. You can listen to a sermon as a critic. The structure of the sermon's really bad, the format's bad, it's boring. You can listen to it as a scholar and say, This needs to be more intellectual for me. You can listen as a judge. And all of those things are okay in a certain sense. Yes, you should be thoughtful. Yes, you should be discerning. Yes, the story is okay. But here's the point I think Jesus is making. You can never stop there. If you prevent God's word from going deep into your life, you will prevent genuine growth from happening. And the enemy can use that. So the reality is this that Jesus according to Jesus's teaching that whenever his word is taught it is spiritual warfare that we need to be in tune to that be aware of that and what happens is this is that pride is the partner of the enemy that pride functions in a way that says I'm just not going to listen just not going to take this in and that's why Jesus says we talked about this just a week ago How how do you have the right kind of attitude? Jesus says in Mark chapter two, those who have no need of a physician, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do. That Jesus came not to call the righteous, but he came to call sinners. And so there's a recognition that we need Jesus Christ in our lives. There's a recognition that I need God's word. That's soil number one. It's hard. It's prideful. It bounces off, and the enemy uses it as a tactic to distract us away from God. Number two is the soil. That's rocky. It doesn't have much depth. Verse sixteen says this: the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy, very happy. Right? It's it's fun. It's delightful. We love coming to church. It's a nice place. It's positive people. But here's what happens. Since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or or are persecuted for believing God's word. So if Satan cannot distract you from, uh, from God's word, here's what he can do. He can bring trials and challenges and suffering into your life. And those things can cause us to walk away. We've probably all been um, been a part of something where you experience great enthusiasm at the beginning. People are excited. People are fun. And then as time goes on, that wears away. And Jesus says, there are many people who hear my teaching. They get very excited at the beginning. But they have no depth. There's no depth of roots And in this story, Jesus is talking about soil conditions representing our hearts. He's talking about depth. And this soil is partial. This can be convicting for all of us. It's convicting in my own life that honeymoons come to an end. Honeymoons are supposed to be fun. They're supposed to be exciting. Starting something new is fun and exciting. But Jesus says that genuine listening, genuine truth is in it for the long run. The Apostle Paul writing about this topic in a shallow faith writes this, that we will no longer be immature children who are tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us or lie to us, clever things that sound like the truth. So there is a long-lasting truth when the soil and the conditions of your heart is true. So Jesus is warning about this, rocky soil. People that just have an initial burst of energy. People that are like, yeah, yeah, Sunday morning at 10 a.m., but then later in the week, we just walk away. The last bad or dangerous soil is this. Look at verse 18. The seed that fell among the thorns represent others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. This is the war within. This is the battle over desires. And there's nothing wrong with God-given desires. God gives us so many desires that are good, and they're healthy, and they're beautiful. But we have to be aware that our hearts are little desiring factories. And we can desire things so much and so strongly that they can easily push out God's word. Paul warns about this. And this is interesting. And When you read the epistles in different writings, you see the internal torment that we can live with if these things capture our heart, if the worries of the world... Wealth, desire for other things, it torments our soul. Here's what, here's what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 5. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And he has this long list, this like naughty list of like bad things. You know, uh, anger and jealousy and sexual immorality, envy, division, all these things. And then he says, anyone who lives according to those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he writes, but the Holy Spirit produces fruit in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Who among us here has not lived with the, the, the tormenting desires of anger or frustration and how those just exist within us? And Jesus is saying this, that those things can push out God's word Peter, in his letter, again, he says this, to be careful about the passions of the flesh, about desires running too strongly in our lives. Here's what he says. They wage war against your soul. So Jesus is saying this third condition, the soil's good, but things are overgrown by weeds. And I think, as I think about life today, this might be our greatest challenge. That we just want it all. And it creates a conflict with the kingdom of God. That this quality of life, that we allow the world around us to define what the good life is, and it clashes with God's kingdom. It clashes with what Jesus teaches us of what it means to be a true follower. And so it creates a war within And God's word is choked out and people walk away. Jesus is saying here, if we like math, there's a 75% chance you're just not going to listen. You're going to just ignore the words of Jesus. That there's a spiritual element to this. And the question for us as a church family is that despite Satan's creative work of persistence of trials and temptations, or maybe even success, will we be a church that listens carefully and attentively to the words of Christ? Here's what Jesus says at the end. Verse 20, and the seed that fell on the good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word. We talked about this a little while ago, that listening is one of the hardest things to do because often we think we're listening and we're not. And so Jesus uses the word, and as you look throughout chapter four, the word listen here is used over and over and over again. And so how do we have, look at the description then of the people who have attentive ears and who accept God's word. It says they have a harvest of 30, 60, or 100 times as much as they planted. And so here's the beautiful part of it. Here is the encouraging part, the amazing part, that Jesus Christ wants to give everyone here a more and, and, and more beautiful and better life than we can ever imagine. But the battlefield lies over your desires. Will our hearts be humble enough? Will our hearts admit our need? Again, Jesus says, and I mentioned this earlier, the the foundational attitude that is required is to recognize and understand how flawed and sinful we are. Because then you go to the doctor, you go to Jesus, you go to his word. The humble admit when they're sick. What attitude are we bringing to God's word this morning? What is the soil of our heart like? What is the condition of your attitude? Is it hard and prideful? Is it shallow and we're tossed all about in life? Is it conflicted with the desires of the world of wanting everything that it drowns out God's word? Or are we humble? honest, genuine people who desperately need the grace of God in our life, who want Jesus more than anything else. I started at the beginning by saying this, that Jesus is going to take his disciples on a walk and they're going to do life together. And along the way, he's going to teach them what does it mean to be a genuine follower? And a genuine follower of Jesus Christ will be a good listener We'll have, we'll have a heart that's open, a humble heart. At the core of Jesus' life and mission was loving flawed people, loving hurting people. and So Jesus is going to continue the journey and in a short time he will end up on a cross giving himself to die for sinners that we could be redeemed and brought near to our Father my hope and my prayer is that we would be people who are humble and attentive to God's word, that we are alert, that we are aware, that we are in tune with the spiritual realities of life, that there is more going on here this morning than just getting together in a tent and just having a little little, little thing together, drinking coffee, that there is a spiritual dynamic that matters. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much, the promises that we find in your word, that you promise to to be um, a blessing and give us a bountiful and good life, more than we can ever imagine when we live with humble hearts seeking to follow you. I pray that you would help all of us to be students of your word, to love your word, to understand that it points to your son Jesus. Thank you for that. I pray that you'd help us create um, a culture here that loves you, that loves your word because that's how we we know you. Father, I pray that as we continue um, in worship and finishing up our time together that we could not be distracted by this afternoon or lunch or dinner or work, that we could just enjoy your presence. Help us to not be in a hurry. Help us to not be distracted. Help us to enjoy your presence. We love you and thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.